0: Thanks, everyone. You can take your seats. and ah, Wow, I love that. What an amazingly powerful, powerful testimony. That's just so good, isn't it? And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing because I, S- Stephanie and David have faithfully served in the kids' ministry for years. They have faithfully served in the kids' ministry. And uh, they, bo- they both have jobs, and they work really hard all week. And, uh, and yet, Sunday mornings, they just pour out their lives onto our children. And, uh, you know, I just think Daddy is just saying thank you very much, both of you. Thank you very, very much. And we all say thank you. And I was just uh, heading up. I was heading somewhere, and I happened to go through one of the kids' rooms, and uh, Stephanie was there getting prepared for the class and uh, last Sunday, and she said she just was beaming. She said with so much excitement, uh, you know, my husband and I we just really got touched by the message last week, and uh, you know, especially the returning the tides, and and so you know, we just uh, we just set our hearts on really going for it. And um, I just want you to know that when I got to work that week, boom, I just got this big pay rise that I wasn't expecting. I said the church need to hear that. And uh, would you please share that next week? And she said, oh, I'd be honored. Thank you. And, uh, but little did I know, little did she know, that we hadn't finished the testimony. You know, and I just, th- that, that, that was amazing to think that somebody after that came and gave you uh, that envelope of cash. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are so very, very good, God. Ah, uh, God. I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke and chapter 24, please. It is Pentecost. It's Pentecost, everybody, and what an amazing, amazing day we are celebrating. Uh, The very, very first Pentecost in the new covenant was 10 days after Jesus was raised uh, up from the earth, He was raised from the dead three days after he was uh, murdered on the cross and gave his life on the cross. Uh, Three days later, the father raised him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8 verse 11. And for 40 days, he appeared to various people, and I think it's fascinating, the whole journey of Him appearing, but that's a whole other sermon. But he ultimately appeared to 500 of his disciples, and uh, more than sufficient witness that Jesus had been raised from the dead, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that he truly was declared the Son of God by the Father, that he had lived a perfect and righteous life, and. He ascended into the heavens, having given the disciples, his apostles, the great commission. He said goodbye to them on the Mount of Olives, and I don't think any of them expected what happened next. He gave them all, I could imagine him giving them all hugs and kisses, uh, goodbye, 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 and they're thinking to themselves, well, I mean, where are you going to go? We're going to follow you, you know what I'm saying? Um, And then all of a sudden, without revving up his engines without asking permission from air traffic control for takeoff, he just said goodbye and then just started being lifted up. And they were like... And it took a visitation of an angel to snap them out of their total, absolute shock. But before he left, these... Are his last words, some of his very last words. And uh, we're going to go back to um, verse 40, verse 44 to give some context. In fact, uh, let's go back to verse 36. Now, as they said these things, they were speaking about, uh, some of them were coming back and reporting to the disciples that they had seen Jesus. Um, now, as they st- as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they'd seen a spirit or a ghost, some translation says. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is, that it is I myself. Come, touch me, handle me. And see for yourselves, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Come on, come and touch me. It's me. The same me that you've walked with for three years, three and a half years. It's me. And they're like, oh. and he's like come on. You think I'm a ghost. It's not my ghost. It's me, body, soul, and spirit me. There's many religions that believe in an afterlife, but none of them believe in a bodily resurrection. Your great hope, my great hope, is that you and I, the moment, the split second after we die, we're going to meet with Jesus face to face. And we're going to be given, if we've given our lives to Jesus, if we believe in Him, that He's the Son of God, that He died on the cross, that He was raised again for our sins, and that He was raised again from the dead three days later, if we've confessed that in our hearts, if we believe it and we speak it, confess it, live in it, abide in Christ, then the moment after we stand before Him face to face and we have a conversation with Him in which He will judge us, for everything that we've ever done in our lives. He will say, enter into your rest, good and faithful servant, and you will be united. Your soul, spirit, man, that is that is eternal in Christ, will be united with a brand new glorious body. A body that is not subject to the same universal laws of this universe. It will be just like His body. In fact, in the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verse 3, we read that, in fact, let's go back to verse 1. Um, uh, what is, I've lost my, Murray, help me. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And the world does not know who we are. And we ourselves do not yet know who we are and what we will be like. But when we see him face to face, we will be just like him. And that same Apostle John, a few years later, the Lord answers the cry of his heart. And he gives him a face to face encounter, not just with the risen, resurrected Jesus, but with what John himself and all of us will look like for all of eternity and he turns on the island of Patmos when he's in the spirit on the Lord's day he hears a voice the sound of a multitude of waters behind him and he turns to see whose voice it is and as he turns he sees the majestic king of glory The the one who ascended into the heavens in bodily form, now appearing in bodily form, yet in his glorified state. None of them had seen him in his glorified state. None of them had seen what the King of Majesty looked like once he went through the clouds and was ushered into the eternal presence of his Father and seated at his right hand. None of them knew what Jesus looked like in all of his glory until John saw him on the island of Patmos and he saw that his face was shining like the sun. He saw that he was dressed in white robes with a golden sash around him. Do you know that you're going to be dressed in the most awesome epic clothing? The the fashion industry doesn't even come close to the design of what you are eternally going to be clothed in. His feet were like polished bronze. Your feet are going to be like polished bronze. His face was shining like the sun. Your face is going to shine like the sun. His eyes were like blazing fire. Your eyes are going to be like blazing fire. He juggled in his hand, in his right hand, seven stars. They weren't little tiny stars. That's a very big vision. He's holding the universe, literally represented, holding the universe in His hand. You're going to be able to hold stars in your hands. If I've just blown your mind and you've said that's too much, your God's too little. You have a very, very bright future. You have no idea how glorious your future is. Neither do I. But we get a glimpse of it in Revelation 1. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. The word of God, the eternal word of God. Out of your mouth for all eternity is going to come a sharp double-edged sword. Because as he is, so are we. Oh. If the world understood this, they'd all come flocking into the kingdom. It just doesn't make any human sense whatsoever to reject that future. Why would you ever reject that future? But the reality is the world doesn't know that that's their future in Christ Jesus. The world thinks that we're all just trying to get them to come to church. Get them to be religious. I love what Ash said, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And this is our freedom. The freedom of the glorious sons of God. But how do you and I and how did the early apostles know that Jesus was actually accepted by the Father and glorified? How did they know that his resurrection was not just for him but for us as well? After all, it says in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 28, that right there in the Great Commission, just before Jesus um, spoke and said to them, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given me go therefore make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit in other words immersing them in the identity of the father and the identity of the son and the identity of the holy spirit that's how you make disciples it's not just a reference of some kind of formula to say when you know you're a pastor and you drop people in the water and bring them back up again jesus is saying all of us say all of us We'll make disciples when we immerse the nations in the identity of the Father and the identity of the Son and the identity of the Holy Spirit. And this this is the shocking thing. It says right there in Matthew 28. And some doubted. Some doubted. Jesus was right there walking with them up to the Mount of Olives, His physical presence with them. He'd already... They'd already touched him. They'd already handled him. It goes on to say, when he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still didn't believe for joy, and they marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to take it to another level for you guys, because even though you've touched me and you felt me, you still can't wrap your head around that it's the same me that you saw crucified, naked, bleeding, smashed on the cross. You're having so much difficulty here. You still think I'm a ghost. Okay, all right, you've handled me, you've touched me, but you still think I'm a ghost. So it says here, verse 42, so they gave him a piece of boiled or fried fish, broiled fish, and some honeycomb. I love it. He wanted something sweet. Yeah. (laughs) And he took it and ate in their presence. Ghosts don't eat. They don't have a body to digest food. Jesus ate in front of him and that was it. For most of them, that was it. I would say for all of them, that was it. They knew. He, all 11 of them knew. He is truly risen from the dead. So why would it say that some doubted in Matthew 28? I believe that that is a reference to the fact that they were doubting that his resurrection had any bearing on us. In other words, they weren't doubting that Jesus was raised from the dead. They were still doubting that they were good enough to be raised from the dead. Because religion, religion is a drug that we're highly addicted to. And we just can't help ourselves, but justify ourselves. And how do we know that we're trying to justify ourselves? That we walk in the condemnation of the shame of when we've blown it. And they're standing, they're walking with the resurrected living Christ. And they're doubting. What are they doubting? They're doubting that his resurrection had any bearing on them. But when he went up into the heavens, and it says that a cloud hid him from view, there was 10 days where nothing happened from heavens perspective from, if, nothing happened on Earth that heaven was doing here, for 10 days. They were praying. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts chapter one that they were praying with one accord. They were totally united. They were united in one purpose. We must have who He promised. We must have God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he's going to return, he's going to send the Holy Spirit, rather. He's going to return ultimately, but before then, he's going to send the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He told them that in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, folks, they would have remembered Jesus speaking in John 7 verse 37 to 39 where it says that on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to, let him come to me. And he who believes, out of their innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And then it says this, A welling up into eternity. And then it says this. And by this, he meant the Holy Spirit who those who believed would later receive but had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, what does this mean? It means that they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come because the Holy Spirit coming was the testimony that Jesus was glorified in the heavens. The physical presence of the Holy Spirit on the earth is the absolute validation that the Son of God was accepted by the Father as the pure, spotless Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and was raised from the dead and was received into the eternal realm and that we all came with Him. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says that Jesus led many sons to glory in His train. So, in other words, when they knew that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, the presence of the Holy Spirit is going to be the testimony that we're in the heavens with Jesus. See, we've kind of got stuck on if we believe in the Holy Spirit at all, I'm talking as a universal church now, if we believe in the Holy Spirit at all for today, and many many have not experienced the Holy Spirit, sadly, millions of people in the church today all around the world, but for those who have experienced the Holy Spirit, many since Azusa Street, with the start of the Pentecostal movement, which has just been the most amazing movement, and many, many moves after that, We've relegated the Holy Spirit's presence somehow to some aspect of His equipping and empowering us, some gift that He's given us, So that we think of when we receive the holy spirit oh it's all about tongues or or it's all about falling over or it's all about shaking or it's all about laughing or it's all about crying or it's all about some kind of manifestation let me tell you all of those things are absolutely amazing the manifestations of the spirit are phenomenal the gifts of the spirit are phenomenal we're to eagerly seek them paul says however the best part of it of all guys is that when the holy spirit comes and touches you That is the validation that you are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is heaven's physical manifestation that you are in Christ in heaven. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you, verse 44, while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Do you realize that even though you've got a Bible, you may not have your mind open to understand the scriptures? You might be reading it every day diligently and not understand a dicky bird. That's a cricket term. (laughs) Spoken to the wrong audience. I was referring to those watching online in Great Britain. It is completely possible to spend your whole lifetime in the Scriptures and not understand a single thing you read. It takes the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. That's who He is. He's the Spirit of Jesus. He's not just the Spirit of Jesus. He's also the Spirit of the Father. You say, what? Scriptural. Matthew chapter 10 verse 20 says this. Jesus said, don't worry when you're placed before the magistrates and you're asked to give an account. Don't worry about what to say in that day because the Spirit of your Father living in you will give you the words to say. The Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of the Son and the very Spirit of the Father. Galatians 4.6, He's the Spirit of the Son. And the Holy Spirit's job is literally, Jesus says in, in John, I think somewhere in either 14, 15, or 16, one of them, he says, I think it's six, chapter 16, he says that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to take from what is mine. He says, all things have been given to me by the Father. And the Spirit of truth will take what is mine and he will make it known to you. Okay. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or until you are clothed with power from On high. Oh, my, I'm just getting goosebumps right now. Verse 49. Back in April, I was about to preach in a church in South Carolina at a conference that Kate and I had been invited to as guest speakers, among others. And as is our habit in getting ready for an evening message and a night of long ministry, I had a nap. And while I was napping, absolutely, because you want to be a prepared life, not to have a set of prepared sermons alone, right? So as I'm napping, it's very often as you're waking up from a nap, whether it's waking up from a sleep in the morning or waking up from an afternoon nap or a morning snooze or whatever you, you like to do, in that moment of transition between sleep and wakefulness is often when the Holy Spirit will speak to you, because your spirit is still is open to the Holy Spirit and uh, your mind is is half asleep still so it's not going to get in the way and the Holy Spirit spoke to me I knew I was going to be speaking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit speak, spoke to me and he said Luke 24:49, Duncan behold I send the promise of my father to you but wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high In that moment, he opened my eyes to something that I had never seen before and I hope that it blesses you as much as it blessed me. He said, behold, I send the promise of my Father to you. We have always, theologians have always, we all, everyone agrees that Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit and he is. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. But... If we're not careful, if we focus on the Holy Spirit, we go into a mode of, okay, that means I can speak in tongues. That means I can heal the sick. That means I can do the blah, 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 blah. And we can miss what Jesus is saying right here. In the essence of what he's saying is, he's saying, behold, I send the promise of my dad to you. Now, that's different, isn't it? It's not a different person. It's not a different spirit. It's just a different understanding. Because if we realize, oh my goodness, to have the Holy Spirit is to have Jesus' dad with us. Okay, am I the only one who's excited about that? In John 14, Jesus said, very quickly, Jesus said, I'm going away. My father's, in my father's house, many mansions, and I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you and where i am you also will be because i'm going to come and i'm going to take you where i'm going and thomas turns around and says lord how do we know the way if you don't tell us and he says i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me and then philip says "Uh, you can just see it well Why don't you just show us the Father then? And that will be sufficient for us. In other words, if you're not the Father and we thought that you were God, it's taken all these three years to discover that you are God. Now you're saying you're not God and you're not the Father. You're just the way to the Father. Could you get out of the way so we could get to Him, please? And Jesus says, Philip, have I not been with you for so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. It's not me who speaks his, my words. It's my Father living in me who does his works through me. It's not my works. It's my Father's works. Then he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, not only will he do the things that I do, but even greater works will they do in my name because I go to the Father. How in the world are you ever going to do the works of Jesus, let alone greater works than Jesus did, unless you are clothed on the inside and the outside with the same Father. Let's put it in reverse. If you're clothed with the same Father that Jesus was clothed in, you are going to be able to do the same works that Jesus did. You're going to be able to multiply food. I remember our very first Christmas that in this church's existence. Grace and Michael were there. Very first Christmas... I don't know if you were there that particular Sunday, but you were part of the church there. And were you there on that Sunday when we had the bring and share? We did a bring and share. And everybody was so generous at that bring and share. But when I looked at the numbers of people and then I looked at all the the food, my heart sank. I'm like, there's no way that that's going to feed everybody. Oh, well, hopefully most people will go out or go home and not stay. Everyone stayed. There's just no way. Do you know that we never ran out of food? Those dishes just kept multiplying. I mean, it's not exactly like we're in somewhere in West Africa or somewhere where, you know, they have all kinds of food challenges. We're in America and he still multiplied the food. Why? Because he's good. Now, now, Pentecost is about the church being clothed with the Father by the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is about you having the deposit of the Holy Spirit in you guaranteeing that you've got a body waiting for you that's just like Jesus' glorious body.